The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Accusations of anti-Semitism and genocide hurled on UK streets. An escalating conflict in the Middle East between people distinguished by what? Religion? Or race? What is it that causes us to define race and discriminate against other humans on what we think we know about their genetic background? So what is racism? Where does it come from? And what does it mean in a world where borders signify less and less and your friends, neighbours and colleagues could have family origins in any one of a hundred different countries? Are we moving into a post-racial world? The why? So I've got a confession right at the beginning. Right. I have no black friends. Right. Okay. And I think I've got one or two Jewish friends, but they're not they're not overtly, you know, practicing Jewish people. Yes. You're digging a big hole here. Well, no, I'm just telling it I like it is. I mean, I don't think I mean I uh, it's not that I, you know, actively actively discourage forming friendship. Well Mm. but I just don't come across many black people in my well, life. You do live I'm, in Farnham in Surrey. I live in the whitest part this. of the world, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and there's a question as well as to why have we chosen to live here? I mean, well, I, the argument would be because there's lots of horses and my life, wife likes <laughs> riding horses, which in itself is a very white thing to do. Well, it actually. is, it is. And, and we should, as I say, right up front, uh, today we are two white people and we're being joined by a, a third shortly uh, talking about racism and, and that is in, in some way not and wholly the, Well, no, exactly, because we, you know, it would be very easy for people to to say, well, what would you know about racism? Because yeah. you, you never, never experienced it. No, absolutely. And, you know, you do experience hate or dislike, you know, that you might rub some mm. people up the mm. wrong way by nature of, no. you know, who you are or something that you mm. say. Because... Uh, because it is, because it's not racism is founded on hate, isn't it? There's that word hate, which you, which is not always related to uh, to, to race. Because we all like to be part of a group. Yeah, it's fear, and, I think, as well. It's it's this idea that fear and hate obviously mixed up very closely together. But the idea that someone is different and you dislike difference. Yeah. But why does difference matter? Well, it matters if you feel threatened, I suppose. But it's, it, I think it's a bit more than that as well, isn't it? Because you think back at school. So when, at school, were you with the cool kids or were you with no. the ner- you were in the nerdy brigade? Oh, well. Yeah. Barely that. Yeah. <laughs> even, the, even the nerdy brigade had <sighs> cast you aside. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, and, the, you know, the cool kids like to, you know, have a go at the nerds as yes. much as possible. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I just I met up with a group of friends. I mean, that wasn't quite as severe as that because it was university age yeah. where we were. But there was definitely a cool group and a, yeah. a nerdy well, group. And people I was, always sort themselves And I was in way. the nerdy group. But now we're all just the same, mm. you know. And, and they, you know, in fact, one of the guys from the cool group said, oh, you know, do you want to join the cool kids now? And I'm going, well, not really because the cool kids now are just old men like me. Uh, you know, you're not cool. You're not cool anymore. So, yeah, but I, I suppose, there, you know, people say, well, there's a world of difference between that and not being able to live in a particular part of the world Absolutely. Or, or, or go into a restaurant the, or whatever because the, of the colour of your but, skin. Yeah, example. but this fundamental thing is that we want to differentiate ourselves somehow. We want to be part of a group and we distrust people. I was just giving that as an example because mm. it's such a mild example. Uh, but is it the same fundamental difference that for whatever reason mm. we want to form a group group, be part of that group and believe that everybody else who's not in that yeah. group is not as good as we are. Well, I think that's why, for example, the, 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 the diversity at the in the boardrooms of the UK, for example, is far, far less than it should be because people like people like themselves. There's like, always that feeling, bring together people. Rich men on boards want more rich men on boards. Essentially, yes. And mm. men, you know, mm. there's another area of, of lack of diversity, but also uh, people who look like us, eat the same food, speak the same language, you know. Um, mm. 
It's conscious or subconscious. It exists. Yeah. And it's very sad, isn't it? Mm. Much as we don't want it to happen, it just keeps on happening. And in, in various parts of the world, it's happening well, to such an extreme degree mm. that people are prepared to kill each other yes. or, or massacre. Purely on the basis that they have a different religion or a different uh, supposed ethnic makeup. Well, let's, let's investigate this, where mm. it comes from, what it means, with someone who studied racism on a global context. Alistair Bonnet is Professor of Social Geography at Newcastle University. He wrote the book, Multiracism, Rethinking Racism in a Global Context. So, Alistair, uh, we tend to think, don't we, that racism is a, is a white thing. And and I wonder whether, in fact, that's because that's been the version that's been around for a long time. So there was a, a German scientist, Johann Blumenbach, who wrote the book on the natural variety of mankind back in 1776. And he said there's five groups. There's Caucasian, Mongolian, Malayan, Ethiopian and American. Presumably he meant Native American. And he, and he ranked them. No surprisingly, he put Caucasian at the top. Uh, maybe that's because that's what he was. But, I mean, is that is that how... I mean, that. Is that how this all started? Just this sense of white superiority? Uh, An attempt almost scientifically in highly inverted commas to say that there are these different races. It seems to be the case that um, in that period when Blumenbach uh, was writing and there were plenty others like him um, saying similar things, um, the, the idea of this sort of racial hierarchy um, got going and very much with the um, Europeans at the top. So it's no coincidence that was the time in which the European empires were expanding furthest and um, people really look forward to a... Uh, uh, well, white people, anyway, uh, to a kind of uh, European-dominated world. But uh, it was never that simple. And um, racism um, is something that is far more complicated. <laughs> and academ academics well, always say Perhaps we should define what we mean by yes. racism to start with in the classic Absolutely. sense. Is it simply... Is it simply uh, an understanding or a concept that there are different races and an attempt to use that? Is that really what racism is? Well, use it um, for subjugation. I mean, one uh, definition of racism is it's an ideology and it's a practice of ethnic and racial subjugation. So it's got to have that element. But and there is, uh, you know, a big caveat here for me, um, because Racism is being called out in all sorts of ways across the world now, and it isn't really for for me or anybody else to come up with the you know final and definitive judgment on what racism is. I mean, let's face it, um, like the Yazidis who are being um, killed by ISIS in Syria, in Iraq, uh, many of their leaders were saying we are fleeing out of fear of racism. And this is a word, racism, which is being taken up by all sorts of groups um, across the world in uh, the 21st century. And really, it's up to us to, to listen to that. That's why I wrote this book, Multiracism, uh, because I wanted to listen to this increasingly diverse, you know, and really fast moving debate. Um, so it's fine. Yes, we need a definition of racism, but we also need to be prepared to listen to 
um, people from outside of the uh, little Western community um, um, talking about their experiences. Yes, yeah, so we should well, yeah. face up to the fact that we are three white men talking about this. Yeah, exactly. So what? Do, so so what do we know apart from we have supposedly the sense of superiority that you know we've had well, for for hundreds mm. of years? But I mean, is is there which I don't have, by the way, and I'm, I've, I wonder whether you know that has diminished somewhat since uh, since 1776, and Bloomer back wrote that book, and we've all become a little bit more mm. realistic about our. Place I, in the world. I think less He's, less likely, actually, if you look at the history of the nineteenth century. But anyway, yeah, but I mean more yeah. recently. Yeah. But I mean, um, but it seems you know that that it is a, it is an issue around the world, as we're saying. It's not, and yet there is this belief, isn't that it's worse? So, for example, you know, the epicenter of racism is America. It might be elsewhere. Allegedly, allegedly. Well, you know, it's racist for me to say that, obviously. But I mean, there'll be other places in the world where there is racism, but maybe not to the, to the same extent. Well, that depends who you're listening to. I mean, uh, if you are in America or you're in Britain and you're getting lots of news and commentary about America, yeah, it looks like America is the center of the planet. But, you know, if you're in East Asia, if you're in South Asia, if you're, or say, for example, you're a uh, black African coming up to North Africa, um, then you will see the world differently and you'll see the severity of racism um, uh, differently. And America might look like the promised land um, compared to the kind of um, uh, experiences uh, that you have. But anyway, I want to come back to this thing about whiteness because um, actually that's something I used to uh, write about and uh, uh, I'm still interested in it. And um, obviously um, some of the key moments of racism have taken place in Europe um, in the 20th century. The Holocaust, for example, it didn't help the Jewish people that they were white. Um, and a lot of um, the racism uh, that uh, Europe has seen um, over the centuries has been uh, between ethnic groups. Uh, and that's one of the things that I want to bring out in this book, the, the multi-racism, that racism is not just black and white, and that the white category I mean, it's full of all sorts of divisions. There's all sorts of ways people find to hate each other. Uh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I remember when often I was... Often, a, not, not, often not at all related to race. So yeah. Brexit versus Remain. Woke well, yeah, versus anti-woke. Yeah, rich versus poor. <laughs> you know, I was abused the other day on Twitter for being a boomer because I'd you know, deprive somebody of the ability for them to buy their own house, even though I'm... But, you know, but, but I mean, you can stand it to any kind of disagreement. But just going back to what you were saying about, for example, the Yazidis, Alistair, in, in Iraq, and I yeah. bumped into them a few times, worked in that neck of the woods. The Yazidis, ethnically, if one can use that term are not actually different, really, from any of the people they're living with. It's a religious difference, at mm. least on the surface. Yes. And I suppose you could argue that that, in a way, is with anti-Semitism, because actually most Jews, in the way they look, in the culture they operate in, the language they speak, I mean, everything, they are assimilated. There is, there is no obvious, clear difference But they're different, focus isn't on. it? It's all just the, they are a bit different to us, and that's the mistrust that comes from that, because we like to be part of a group. Yeah, yeah, no, I could, I hear that. And um, one of the things I'm interested in is this um, uh, way that what I normally called ethnic groups are calling out their experience of racism. Um, it may be that they look similar, but people will pick up on all sorts of things to, you know, fix difference and to say, no, no, you're not the same as us. It may be something like language. Um, it may be, Religion. Um, these are not unimportant uh, aspects. They may, 
may not be necessarily written on the body, but it's amazing how people then go on to say, oh, I think I, I know what they look like. I know what a Jewish person looks like. I mean, obviously that may seem, you know, stupid sentence, but that has sentences made sense to an awful lot of people over very many centuries. Um, so the kind of like sense of um, difference being um, not in the body, but, you know, being seen and being manufactured. Um, that's something that uh, I think we have to pay attention to that. Otherwise we don't get to recognize the racisms which are unfolding around the world. Um, all sorts of Muslim groups, um, for example, like the Rohingya in um, uh, Myanmar, and of course the Uyghur in uh, China. Um, I mean, they can kind of be picked out um, uh, physically in, in terms of the Chinese context, but it's really their, their culture that is the, is, the, is the kind of problem, as it were, um, for the Chinese authorities. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm running across. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's, I mean, what you're saying is that it is all over the world and it has been for a while. But is it is it becoming more pronounced now? And is and why? Why is that? Is it because we just hear about it more now or is it because there's a more of a merging of populations because we're seeing more migration? Why are we seeing it all over the world in such a more pronounced fashion? I mean, it would be good if we heard, you know, more about it, to be honest, because you said, oh, we're hearing more about it. I mean, I'd love to hear more about yeah. um, it in the context of um, Africa and the different, um, uh, you know, enmities and conflicts that are going on in Africa or, or, or Asia. But actually, our focus when it comes to racist, racism is so focused on America and then kind of us. Um, then uh, we, those, those sorts of issues are often really right at the bottom of the news, even if they um, are, are in the news at all. Um, but there is something going on definitely about big states wanting to have a, a firmer grip. Um, and you see this in, in China. I mean, it's not just over the past few years. It's been, you know, since the re revolutions, really. Um, but also in India, where we have um, Narendra Modi really wanting to sort of like create a more, not necessarily homogenous, but an India that's marching in one direction. And that's very much a kind of Hindu vision of um, India. Uh, and that's a big story. I mean, um, India's democracy and India's plurality has been such an important achievement um, in the 20th century. And um, unfortunately, we are seeing some roadback on that. And uh, coming back to that point about people calling out racism, there's about 200 mil million Muslims in um, India. And increasingly, the word racism is being used by um, uh, Muslim uh, activists in, in India, uh, just because the kind of um, level of violence that is meted meted out to them. Do, do you think that's that's the, uh, in a way the best way to deal with this? Because you know, if you call everything racism, mm. any kind of difference or dislike between groups, doesn't that devalue the term and make it harder to get a sense of what on earth's going on? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that is a, that is an argument which um, is often made, and um, it's not a bad argument. Um, so that's why it's so important that when I talk about racism, what I'm actually doing is just listening or trying to listen to what terminology people are actually using on the ground. However, and this is a big this is a big point. Um, people have other languages, like in India, they talk about communalism. So it's an Indian term to that describes kind of religious um, violence, conflict, communalism. So that's a useful word. They also talk about casteism, which is discrimination uh, between the different castes, which can be 
very violent um, in India. So these are all different vocabularies. Oh, I've got another one. I remember I did some field work once in Peru talking to African heritage Peruvian people. And um, they weren't so interested in the concept of racism. Um, uh, them and other Peruvians had this other idea, which they called choloism, which was news to me. It turns out the cholo is a kind of like urban mixed heritage um, uh, person in Peru. They're kind of people who live in the kind of squatter camps all around um, uh, Lima. Uh, so cholo and choloism discriminate discrimination against cholos. <laughs> you know, this is new vocabulary, new words. I wasn't familiar with them. Um, but uh, it reinforces that point about, is this, is this important to listen? And actually, we've got a lot to learn. Uh, people assume we know everything about racism, um, that we, but we really don't. But does it all boil down to the same thing? And as I touched, touched on it earlier about us all, you know, we all want to be part of a group. Uh, because we trust people who are in that group, and normally they are people who are like us, and it's just a question of how far you extend that. So if you start to get a state that starts to do that, then that becomes mm. a little bit of a worry, doesn't it? Because that's what Nazi Germany was all records, about. Yeah. Uh, so mm. you know, the more, but but clearly, a lot of states do want to sort of remove impurities to a greater or lesser extent because because it, it doesn't fit with the group. And, uh, yeah. you know, and that's and that whatever that group is, whether it's built on race or religion or any of those other factors that you've just described, it's this mistrust of people who are not in the group or not like us because they don't have the same aims that we have. And I don't know how you break out that. That seems to be the inherent problem, isn't it? Yeah. The thing is, um, there has been a lot of uh difference and people living um, together and kind of rubbing along um, over the centuries. And um, to some extent, we've lost a lot of that. It, I mean, it can seem, if we look out of the window in London or Berlin or New York, that the world is just getting more and more cosmopolitan and diverse. But actually, um, if you take the longer view, and also if you look out of the window in other um, cities around the world, Actually, the world is not getting more diverse. I mean, Turkey used to be a very diverse country, um, ethnically, religiously, and so on. Um, it, it's still kind of diverse. It's got different Muslim groups, but it's a, a Muslim, you know, 99% uh, Muslim uh, majority country now. It's, it didn't used to be, and that's true of a lot of the Middle East, actually. It used to be a lot more diverse, and it's seems to be to do with the state. The state comes along and says, we've got this vision um, and it's kind of one size um, uh, that's going to um, be available for everybody. We don't have much latitude for because the diversity is seen as, is seen as threatening. And that's what's going on in, in China. It's what's gone on in Turkey. It's what's gone on in a lot of the Middle East. Um, it's what's going on in, in India. Um, so it's interesting because we in the West are so comfortable with the idea that everything's more and more diverse and we're all so cosmopolitan and how great everything is. But that is just our little little world we live in. Yeah. But why does the state step in? How? What happens there? So, for example, Damascus was apparently, you know, at one stage, I don't know if you've ever been there, Roger. Was, yeah, many, many times. I mean, historically, but then putting so far back, you get it's one of the oldest cities on Earth. And was, you know, quite a cosmopolitan city until mm. we started to see a regime that totally destroyed that. Well, not complete. I mean, you know, one in, odd thing, in, in Syria, you have a situation where a very small minority religious stroke ethnic group is actually in charge, mm. which is even more peculiar. <laughs> yeah. So how yeah, do we get this, yeah. this situation where we have 
all of this diversity, which is getting challenged by by the state, what happens to create that? Situation? Yes, um, there there seems to be some momentum, um, and I, and I guess it's true. It, it, it's different. I mean, um, you know, uh, Hitler very, very famously talked about no no one talking about the um, Armenians anymore. I mean, he really did look to what happened in Turkey in terms of the. This ethnic- is the Armenian genocide in yes. 1915. Yes, yes, in in, in Turkey, and um, from his point of view it successfully um, occurred and that gave him confidence that such a thing could happen um, in in Germany so th- that was a um, states who thought they were being modern um, so in Turkey it comes back to your Blumenbach uh, quote actually the the um, the young Turks or the these Turkish nationalists came along and they, and they thought they had these great modern scientific ideas and they kind of melded that to a Already, already pre-existing, it has to be said, uh, distrust um, of uh, the substantial Greek and Armenian and, and, and other minorities um, in the country. And so you, you see that, you know, take up of these um, modern practices um, and the, you know, the the gas chambers, in a way, were kind of a modern uh, Well, that, modern it's very thing. interesting you, you say that it's a modern thing because I suppose that is one essence that, an idea that they, that races even exist, that, that, that there is such a thing as a defined race. I mean, it was notorious that in apartheid South Africa, for example, the, the government tried somehow to measure who was what and what was the part of their makeup, and same thing in Germany. But is there any basis to this at all? I mean, are we different races, really? Uh, well, the thing is, in the 20th century, scientists, not racial scientists, but other scientists um, discovered genetics and that was a real big moment and a great breakthrough and we've all benefited hugely um from you know a genetic understanding of uh, the, hu- the human uh, reproduction and evolution and so on and genetics um shows that there isn't really any kind of like correlation between the gene that controls i don't know melanin how dark your skin is or how dark your hair is that gene and a gene any other uh, gene. I mean, so uh, and nor you know, commonsensically, would one imagine there is some sort of like a, a correlation or trigger between these sort of race genes, that, like for example, the the skin color uh, gene, and um, um, any other. So geneticists actually, um, and this is something that we saw from the 1930s onwards, was some of the first. Um, anti-racists. They were they were really kind of um, outspoken in England and other countries about saying no, race is not a very useful way of dividing the world. Um, but you know we've got a better one, which is genes. And you know genes exist, and you can find gene pools and um, different you know communities that have you know some are short and some are tall. You know that stuff exists. Um, of course it does, but it doesn't actually map onto um, these old-fashioned categories of. Of race. And I wonder whether also there's a bit of a cycle that goes on as well. All the time we've been talking, I've been hearing that song, uh, What the World Needs is a Great Big Melting Pot. I can't remember mm. what it was, a 60s, 60s hippie song. You were probably there, Roger. I'm yeah, sure you're in, in your sarong yeah. singing along to that. But it was, um, but I mean, that's what we'd like, you know, obviously that is an ideal, isn't it, where we do all get on. And we, you mentioned how cosmopolitan some cities are, and London is seen as being a very cosmopolitan city because it's got a, such a mix of races. 
But the, the when people talk cosmopolitan, the next line that someone will always come out with, oh, yes, there's so many more great places to eat now. As though we see, you know, the only contribution that all these other cultures make is that they, have, they, they provide another source of food for the rich people to eat. And a lot of the people <laughs> who are serving in those restaurants don't actually get out and join mainstream society beyond sort of that more subservient role. And, I, and oh, so, that's interesting, yeah. And so no wonder people in London, you know, who are a part of those ethnic groups are saying, well, hang on, give us a chance. We don't just want to run restaurants. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that, but it does make me think about one of the most wide, geographically widespread um, uh, visible minority groups in Britain, and that's the Chinese. Um, and really, there aren't many villages or towns in Britain that do not have a, a Chinese takeaway. And it's kind of one of the, actually one of the many invisible uh, minority groups um, in Britain, because we always tend to sort of go to the cities and uh, imagine, you know, London and Birmingham have all that diversity. But there is actually really quite interesting and very entrepreneurial um, communities that live in quite, uh, sometimes quite isolated um, pockets, um, like in up here in the northeast where I live in Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle is quite diverse, but my goodness, um, Northumberland and County Durham, there isn't uh, there isn't much, except almost every old pit village has got its Chinese takeaway. Um, anyway, I just find that fascinating. So it, it's- but it's, it's interesting about the Chinese, isn't it? That in the United States, I read a report saying, saying that racism sometimes is seen in a positive light in that Americans see Chinese people as being smarter. Right. And, and if you, in Australia... You look at Chinese kids in school; they are conscientious. You know, there's this this driving force amongst the Chinese but are community. Are they? I mean, isn't isn't that a, really a, in itself simply because it happens to be mildly beneficial? Um, still, a racial stereotyping of a vast number sure. of people who have all kinds of different yeah. uh, outlooks, and and the risk of doing anything like that. I mean, many people in Germany in the 1920s and 30s thought the Jews were very good at handling money. Uh, you know, mm. it's not. It's only a very very thin bit between. Something that, positive and something and negative. And then saying, yeah, all the Chinese are taking our jobs. Yeah. Let's try and stop them. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, – and so it is so it, just another example. I've just done it there, haven't I? Mm. Just another example of how we're very quick to uh, form opinions. But we do that in society. Now, I wonder if this is part of the problem. You meet somebody, irrespective of their race, you form an opinion about that person in 30 seconds. It's pretty hard to change your opinion from that first impression. And we do that to groups and society, you know. But we we, also import a lot of things if they are from a particular racial group and we mm, meet them. We make a series of conscious or um, semi-conscious assumptions. So there we are. There's your next book, Alistair. How do we fix that? (laughs) I mean, because that is... You know, it, it it is a problem, isn't it? We're for, we are stuck with opinions about races. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the the state can sometimes not help. I mean, there are there's different levels uh, of problem here. I mean, sometimes people just you know have uh, negative opinions or or they, or they make jokes and things, and that that's one level, and that can be you know nasty. And but the, at the moment, we are living through a period um, which we all. It's amazing, really. We've we've experienced genocide. We've experienced the genocide of the Yazidis. It doesn't mean they're all killed, obviously, but then the Jews weren't all killed, but there was an attempt, a concerted attempt. And um, in uh, another example I've got in the book is about people in uh, in Papua, in uh, West Papua, uh, which is um, uh, part of Indonesia now. Uh, but it's, it's difficult to know because the numbers are difficult to find, but maybe about half a million Papuans uh, 
uh, been killed since uh, their territory was taken over by Indonesia in the, in the 50s. And that's a lot because there are, there's only like a couple of million Papuans. Um, so that's a situation that could be described as uh, genocide. And um, yeah, I say this to my students sometimes because they always think about slavery as an historical thing and genocide as something that happened, you know, yonks ago. But actually, even in their young lives, not only has it happened, but there there is potential for more of it to happen. Um, and that's why we need to be a bit uh, keener to realize that, um, you know, learning from people around the world, learning that their, their experiences of racism can be pretty severe um, um, is, well, is, is the way forward. I was going to say, well, let me inject yeah, something totally different into this, which is, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Phil was mentioning cosmopolitan earlier. You know, there is this phrase, rootless cosmopolitan. It's one of these lines that's handed to people who are terribly relaxed with uh, any kind of culture because there are there's a group of people in society who see huge benefit in having an identity, in being part of a club, in, in clinging to your Germanness, your Britishness, your uh, Iraqiness, whatever it is, something that defines you and that that actually is a really good thing. And they worry about people who pick and mix from numerous cultures around the world, don't really care what background people have. There's no, they would say, no sense of community. And that actually can be a really valuable thing. Yeah, I think most people, anybody who's traveled much will meet a lot of patriotic people, um, you know, whether it's, you know, in China or Argentina, and not just patriotic, patriotic, but people who want to be, you know, uh, rooted and have a real sense of um, uh, identity. So um, that has to be respected. And I certainly want an, want a uh, fixed identity. And it can be kind of um, easy, particularly in somewhere like England, which is not seen like huge revolutions. We haven't been turfed out um, or, of, our, of our homeland. We've not experienced the kind of things actually a lot of people around the world have, which is huge uh, tumult, loss of language, uh, you know, cultural dev devastation. So we, we we kind of take it for granted that we've got this you know stability and we're still speaking English. <laughs> I come back to that. I think language is really important in terms of people's identities. And um, well, there's a famous that, thing with Nigel Farage complaining being being on a train and everyone around him speaking languages other than English, and this was a, a huge yeah. thing. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes English. I mean, you're in Newcastle, so Geordie can be difficult to no, understand. Come on, sometimes. come on, none of that. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, no, it can, it can, but. Um, you know that uh, pride of place in 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 mm. Newcastle, the northeast, it, it's articulated yeah, it's literally. You know through through the dialect, yeah. and uh, it means a lot to yeah. people. Um, so you know, but it's true that you know languages um, are eroded and dis. And then, like if you look at China, um, there is a the issue of language is so important. If you think about why people in Hong Kong aren't so happy with uh, people from uh, the rest of the mainland coming in, you know, it turns on this issue of Cantonese uh, versus Mandarin. You know, Cantonese is what the people speak in, in Hong Kong. And it's not, it's mutually unintelligible with um, Mandarin. And um, I have been in Hong Kong and I've heard people talk about this in terms of um, racism, you know, it sounds weird. Again, it comes back to this idea. Well, hold on, you know, people in Hong Kong look exactly the same as people in, you know, the rest of China. So it's, it's history, yeah. isn't it? People's people don't want change. 
So it's the so in that well, it's an identity of, as well. Well, yes, and it, but it's that old identity is changing because it might be watered down because you've got movement of people who who don't share. No, no, that well, they fear sentence. they're losing it. They mm. feel they feel that Cantonese, which means an awful lot to them, and it's not just a language; it's a, it's a culture. Very understandably, they don't want to see it go the way of the dinosaurs. Mm. Um, it's it's their identities, and um, so you know they they will be active about that, and that explains quite a lot of what, what's been going on in in Hong Kong over over recent years. And they could as likely be racist against people who come in speaking Mandarin. I mean, it goes both yeah. ways in, in, in that definition. And obviously you've yeah, got state right. control yeah. there as well, so you talk to people in Hong Kong now. I mean, it's a, it's a dire situation. There's so many, so many people leaving. So it, a, they've abandoned the, uh, where perhaps generations have lived. I, I just wanted to get to where racism comes from in all this. We've talked, you know, it exists. Has it always existed? Have we always been fearful of the other? And is it fear, really, that's the, the, the Well, of it? there is this thing that historians now call proto-racism, which sounds like a bit of a fudge, but I think it's quite a useful word. So when they talk about how the Greeks should stereotype the Persians, for example, which was often, you know, uh, making fun of them and saying they're inferior or, you know, all these um, kind of um, stereotypes were definitely flying around um, the ancient world. But... And this is why they call it proto, uh, not really the full thing, uh, type of racism. You know, it wasn't codified in any kind of science. Um, there was no kind of like strict, you know, boundaries about who was and what race. There was, there was no kind of sense of like classification or strict scientific demarcation. Um, and there wasn't really the kind of state apparatus that you might see um, in modern societies. But, you know, that sounds like, you know, it's all done and dusted. Well, you know, it was proto-racism and then the modern world happened and then there was this real racism. And that is often an argument that, that we hear, but it, it's it's a tricky ongoing conversation. Um, and um, it's, the idea that racism is modern does not mean pe it was all peace and love um, back in the medieval or ancient period. I mean, people really went at, e at each other. Um, and uh, <laughs> something ancient historians, a lot of ancient historians are really interested in this question these days. But how, much, well, how, yeah. how much of that in the olden days was because it, it was a land grab, because you needed to take over more land because there was more food mm. or so more So you need more to make resources. the people who live there other or worse or mm. subhuman. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, you think about how the Romans thought about the, the Britons. They certainly regarded them as... Um, uh, savage and uncultured and uh, of needing to be brought in mm. to the empire. Uh, but well, not changed much, actually, to be fair. <laughs> well, it depends where you live, but the thing, <laughs> the thing is, once they'd accepted the, you know, uh, Roman culture, then there was no idea that they were inferior. No, they could rise to any position they wanted. That's true of, you know, Nubians or, you know, people in the uh, um, Spanish Peninsula or wherever. You know, once you'd, you know, accepted that Rome was the superior culture, then you were, then you were in. Mm. Um, so there was no racism so, per se. I mean, so some, you just no racism. There was just supremacy. Well, there's some suggestions some Roman so emperors were actually, as we would say, black. Um, yes, exactly. No, you could rise to um, any position wherever you were. And slavery in uh, the uh, Roman period wasn't um, racial, and that is why actually they had to disfigure. Interesting anecdote: had to disfigure their slaves. Often slaves would have like their nose. Um, slit or their ears cut off. Why was that? It's because you couldn't otherwise physically, you know, tell a non-slave from a slave. So they had to do this to the 
to their faces um, to make them um, make it make it really visible and apparent. So that doesn't sound like the answer to uh, to racism, Alistair. Is that uh, clearly the only way to solve racism is for the subs- what's seen as being the subservient race to just roll over and join the oh, yeah. join the superior yeah. race, and uh, and everything's yeah. going to be fine from then on. In the, the Roman approach. The Roman approach, yeah. Well, I think we, in some ways, um, even though when we look at it internationally, which is my whole thing, um, racism is uh, very much a, a growing and important uh, phenomenon around the world. Um, in you some genuinely country, think there is more racism than there has been? You, you think it is a growing Yeah, thing? yeah. I, I think there's things going on in China and India um, over the past 10, 15 years that haven't gone on before there. Um and people in those countries are using this word racism to, or some of them anyway, um, to, to to describe it. But it's progress as well. And there has been an ability to, you know, rub on um, with uh, neighbours. And, you know, there aren't, blood, blood is not running in the streets of um, Surbiton or Slough or, you know, Ottawa or, you know, places which are, you know, diverse and where people have learned um, that uh, they're not that different after all. Um, actually, sometimes that comes down to the fact that they're all, they all see themselves as Londoners or they all see yeah. themselves as British or like in Canada, you know, being Canadian is a big deal mm. and people sort of join together and uh, there's that kind of uh, mosaic of, of, uh, of peoples, but they're often all kind of proud of being Canadian. And also that. perhaps the embracing of what is a global culture in, in terms of entertainment and sport. I mean, there's a lot of things in which everybody pretty much buys into, and that makes everyone part of the same club. Right. So then, therefore, the let's bring in the elephant in the room, which is the situation in the Middle East right now. I mean, how much of that is just inbred racism? How much of it is, is history? And how much of it is just basically a turf war? Yes, um... I mean, multi-racism, that term sort of describes uh, the, the Middle East in, in so many ways. And certainly um, Jewish Israelis have got good cause um, to call out racism um, that has been directed against them, um, particularly because they know that there used to be Jewish populations across the Middle East and they're no longer there now. Um, there used to be you know, a big Jewish population in Tunisia uh, and other Middle Eastern countries and um they had to leave. So the Middle East is less diverse than it used to be. And, and part of that um, is to do with the expulsion of um, Jewish people and anti-Semitism, which is still rife um, across the Middle East. Mm. And However, also within yeah. within Israel, just saying, I mean, yeah. I work there a lot. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. There is a lot of anti-Arab uh, feeling. Exactly. How you characterize that, whether as racist or, or quite logical fear, some might say, in some areas is an interesting question. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, there is the anti-Semitism, but there's also anti-Arabism. And it really is, uh, it seems to be quite um, rife and getting more um, cemented month by month, day by day um, in Jewish-Israeli um, uh, perceptions of the world. Um, I mean, attitudes aren't the end of it. I mean, there is this law of return in um, Israel, which means that any Jewish person um, can go and live in uh, Israel. And of course, for a geographer like me, I used uh, old maps of that area just had the word Palestine written on. So the fact that um, there's no law of return for Palestinians um, is uh, is uh, obviously a, a, 
a difficult uh, thing to, to live with. And um, these two types of racism, anti-Arabism, anti-Semitism, but also the kind of anti-Palestinian, um, or mm. not just anti, but a kind of, I mean, this is a problem of uh, Israel in a way, the, the, the founding problem of not uh, being able to uh, recognize that there are two peoples who both have rights in this in this land but even that term you're using peoples means a definition of some kind doesn't it you know mm. who on earth is and how would you measure whether someone is jewish I, arab or palestinian I'm being, you're saying in the past it didn't really matter because it was just a, a state where they were all together and but we can't get back to that. I mean, it seems like that would be the ideal solution. Re- it? Rebuild get... the Ottoman Empire. That's the answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's well, maybe been, not it's all been, of it. You no, know, it's been a very complicated situation in that part of the world for a very long time. I mean, yes, the Ottomans, um, you know, controlled it, and then the British controlled it. But there are always lots of you know groups um, uh, prepared to to uh, squabble with with each other. But it actually, it comes back. To, to me, to one of the great things that happened after the Second World War, which was the founding of the United Nations. And in a way, the UN was all about protecting minorities and making sure this sort of conflict uh, didn't break out again. Yeah. Um, and so the weakness of the United Nations, the weakness of international um, governance, I don't know if you can even say it even exists, um, is uh, a problem. And uh, we can't just leave it to the Americans to come in on a sort of ad hoc basis to sort out all our problems. When God knows they have their own race, racial but it, problems. But it, seems like the, anyway. it seems like the answer is not a two-state solution. It seems like the answer is a one-state solution. But we're never going to get there because of racism and hate. Yeah, my goodness. I mean, I'm in well beyond, you know, my depth here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, to We're going to solve the whole problem in this half-hour podcast. Pick the bones uh, out of that. Yeah. Well, as we come towards the end of this, Alistair, let's just get a sense. I mean, you, you have studied racism around the world, the new racisms. Does it make you gloomy that we are still, it seems, as a world, determined to identify each other on the basis of something semi-mythical, really, and make judgments and oppress on that basis? It does make me worried. I mean, uh, I imagine, I fear that the 21st century um, is going to be um, uh, seeing more genocide. Um, and I, what I try to do, and what I try to, in terms of talking to students and, and, and in writing, is, is try to get... Uh, people with a keener ear, a more kind of like listening response and a more kind of international um, uh, sensitivity to this stuff. Because um, we keep on being surprised. You know, the whole expul- expulsion of the Rohingya Muslims from Myanmar, the reaction of a lot of people was who, you know, where, uh, you know, all this continuous, mm. you know, who are these people? Where is this place? This this massive surprise. Um, so it'd be great if we could just get a more not necessarily a more cosmopolitan, but a more internationally educated um, uh, generation. Uh, we need more geographers, yeah. fundamentally. Oh, that's, well, so it, all, it all comes back to that. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Greater as you know, I've got a geography degree there as we well. Are, so, there you know, I've, I've done my bit. I'm not sure how useful it's been in my life, but, uh, but maybe I should be doing more with it. Good to talk, Alistair. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having Okay, it. cheers. Thanks. So an, an interesting look there at what racism means. And it's, it's a very hard thing to put 
to, to pin down. And, and as I say, it, it's... But it, except it's getting worse. That's what we do yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and unfortunately, because it's getting worse and it's such a complicated subject, we haven't resolved anything, but no. at least we've given we've something to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And indeed, uh, yes, that kind of vagueness, I'm afraid, is going to extend because we were just thinking, what on earth are we going to talk about next week? And frankly, at the moment... We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, we're, we're, and look, we've got a week to sort it out, haven't we? we? Have, but sometimes... We well, much is happening in the There's world. much happening in the world and we, we want to make sure that we're on the ball with mm. it. And so, uh, but, but that raises the question, actually. I mean, if there's something that... If you're listening to the podcast yeah. regularly, first of all, we'd like to get some feedback yes. from you because you've been yes. you've been remarkably quiet. We know yes. you're there. We assume it's embarrassed silence, but um, who knows? So, uh, actually, you can... Uh, I'll give you my email, which is phil Ooh. at loudmouthcoms.com. Might be one way to, to get yes. in touch with us. The other one is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google or wherever mm-hmm. you're listening to this if there's an opportunity to leave a yeah. rating. Or thoughts about what you'd like us to talk about. That's another thought. Oh, that, well, that's exactly the other point I was going to make. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, help us to uh, mm-hmm. choose the agenda for this podcast because it's uh, it's here for you. It is. It well, is indeed. It's so let us, us know what you think. for us as well. We enjoy doing yes. it, but it is ultimately for you. Yes, yes. And you don't have to be kind, please. Well, obviously do, but yeah. you don't have to be. We'll ignore you if you're not, though. <laughs> anyway, uh, but so we will talk about something. We'll definitely be talking about something. We can guarantee that we'll next, week next week on The Y Curve. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Y Curve.